Postcards from a Dying World, the podcast. For more than a decade, I've reviewed over 1,000 books that are mostly science fiction, horror, and bizarro. This feed will feature bonus audio I have produced over the years, as well as a monthly digest of reviews based on what I've read each month, plus the occasional bonus material about my own fiction. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to Postcards from a Dying World. I am really excited to welcome my guest today, who I have interviewed sort of on YouTube before I had a podcast when I was practicing. So uh, there, out, out there on the YouTubes, there is a deeper discussion with this man's background. But Maurice Broadus is somebody I'm really stoked to have on the podcast today because he is one of my favorite writers. Uh, in general, but he's also from my home state of Indiana. We grew up an hour away from each other, unfortunately didn't know each other then, but we do now. And we're, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of his work. So uh, Maurice, welcome to Postcards from a Dying World. It's great to have you. Hey, thanks for having me. It's funny you say that because uh, often my middle school students refer to me as their practice adult. So I- I'm comfortable in this space. So. <laughs> right. But um, so here's the thing. Um, let's talk about how you I, I, I don't want to go super deep because I want to really get into this book. But mm-hmm. how did you get into genre fiction growing up in Indianapolis? Like, where, where did you get into this stuff from? Yeah, it's interesting because uh, I mean, because, yeah, it's Indiana. I, I live in Indianapolis and, uh, you know, we're in the heart of Bible Belt country. And uh, and so it, it's the short answer is church let me just start there church uh <laughs> I, I remember treating uh the the story of uh, noah and the flood as the first post-apocalyptic uh, story i'd been told and uh, mm. and just dealt with it that way um and then i, I bumped into a another sunday school teacher who sort of pulled me aside and was just like yeah i think you're one of us and then and i'm like well what does that mean and then he uh showed me his collection of like Star Trek episodes and Doctor Who episodes and all these comic books and uh, and then uh, also uh, in fifth grade my my best friend gave me his comic book collection and so suddenly I have this uh, stack of books that is suddenly uh, sucked me into their world so so yeah it's uh, it's been a thing for me. Well, and growing up in Indiana, I'm sure Sammy Terry played a role in that too. Our, oh, our man. horror host. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Staying up late, watching uh, Sammy Terry. It's, it's like a, it's the double whammy. You know, I had the uh, Kung Fu Theater at, uh, you know, just after school and then Sammy Terry at night. So uh, that's a, a lot of my uh, genre education right there. Yeah, absolutely. And for those who don't know, Sammy Terry was our horror host in Indiana and is the reason why most of us into genre stuff in Indiana, like is a lot of our education was lots of hammer movies. It's the first time I ever saw phantasm, for example, was, was, uh, on Sammy Terry. So, um, but it's a whole other thing to like, want to transition into, into writing it. Was there, um, was there a work or was there a piece of fiction that really made you say like, mm-hmm. I, I want to do this. I want to be a writer. Um, There's a couple of different encounters. So, uh, I mean, I remember uh, the first piece I can clearly remember writing personally was in fifth grade. I wrote the story called The Big Mac Attacker, um, which was the story of a, a story of a Big Mac being eaten, told from the point of view of the Big Mac. And uh, and so that was that was me, my first attempt at, at me writing uh, genre. But the stuff that made me fall in love with it was probably I'm trying to think if it was 
it was had to be comic books. Guaranteed it was comic books. And I'm gonna say it was either Watchmen, uh, because uh, 1986 was like a big year for me in comic books. Because like Dark Knight Returns came out, Watchmen came out. I'd already been reading a lot of uh, uh, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing Run, Miracle Man Run. Uh, stop me if I get too nerdy. Um, and that, but it's probably nerd Neil out, Ga- right? Okay, good, good, good. Uh, it was probably Neil Gaiman's Sandman that made me fall in love with the idea of story. To be honest with you, and so in fact, Sam, I would come back to reread Sandman like the entire run, like every couple years, just to have me just fall in love with the idea of writing and story all over again. You've gotten to write comics too, right? You've gotten to go full circle on that? Uh, not quite yet. I have written a, I've written Black Panther short story. Okay, uh, so that's, I, what, that's what I was thinking of, yeah. right? Yeah. Right, right. and uh, behind me, I have my uh, whole, my complete collection of uh, Black Panther uh, Funko Pops. So <laughs> there is that. But uh, I, I've come close. I, uh, I, I am almost there. Almost right, there. right. Well, hey, writing that story is a good, good start, you know, because. Oh, 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 believe me. Um, like I have the first appearance of Black Panther somewhere over there and I, I'm surrounded by my comic book collection. And so uh, they're like, I'm in my office, 20,000 books, uh, uh, 20,000 comic books surrounding me right now. But one of them is Black Panther's first appearance. And so and he is my favorite superhero. And the idea that I got to write a short story with about him you know was all of my geek dreams right there right now that is really cool is there anybody else you would love to write in comics like just uh Um, putting that out there in the world right so falcon was one cyborg is another and uh mr terrific actually which is uh you know not one that immediately comes to mind for a lot of folks but yeah mr terrific is uh one who i've been intrigued with also yeah that's awesome so but to make that step into writing the comics were the obviously the big influence what, what was what was your first um sale and and how did you and how long did you um suffer like the rest of us before before that sale or well, did you well, get let, did you sell something early well well let me back up because uh in high school uh that was when i i encountered the uh two high school teachers who really encouraged uh, me to uh really encouraged and pushed me into writing um, and so the writer I imprinted on then was was actually Edgar Allan Poe. Um, and so I had all of these, and I, I kind of blacked out of my head because I'm thinking back to all the stuff I wrote back in high school. And there's this real angsty uh, Edgar Allan Poe influenced stuff that uh, I was just like, oh man, I mean, it wasn't my voice, but that was who I imprinted on early on. And it took a while before I uh, moved on for Edgar Allan Poe. There's a transition when Edgar Allan Poe Stephen King, then Neil Gaiman. That was pretty much the my trajectory right there. Um, and so in college, because um, I'd stopped writing for a bit in college, but then uh, I, I just randomly started picking up some writing classes. And then I picked up an independent writing course. And the professor was like, did you research me before you took my class? And I'm like, no, no I, just, it's, I thought we were paired at random. And he was just like, yeah, I did my dissertation in, uh, on Stephen King and Clive Barker. And I'm like, oh, Oh, then I think I'm where I'm meant to be then. And uh, and I m- remember sitting in his office and he handed what me an issue. What school was this? Where, where this were was you? So I'm here in town. So it's at IEPUI, uh, Indiana oh, wow. University, Purdue University at Indianapolis. Uh, and uh, I, I remember sitting in his office and he handed me this issue of Cemetery Dance. And he's like, now this, this is the kind of magazine you need to be submitting to. 
and, and when you get into a magazine like this, then you know you've made it. And so, uh, and so Good I graduated. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, and so I graduated in '93. Um, but I just, but as part of that class with him, I submitted a story for uh, the Isaac Asimov Award for for a short fiction, and I and I got an honorable mention in that contest. And so that was like my first uh, sort of like shadow taste of uh, of publishing. I didn't didn't win it. But uh, I got an honorable mention so that that sort of told me, well, you know, maybe I'm on the right track with this. So, uh, so, that, so that was 93. 93 was also when I first started writing my first novel. And, uh, and I finished that novel in 2000. Um, and it will never see the light of day. It is a hot mess of a novel, but it was mine. I'm still proud of it. Part of the process. Uh, it is exactly part of the process. But uh, but the other part, because I mean, it took me seven years. I'm still trying to figure out what does it mean to, to write a novel, right? Um, but along the way, I would write these short stories because short stories are my first love. And and frankly, you know, I, I need to, I need that high of beginning, middle, end, <laughs> you know, to keep me going while I'm trying to figure out writing this novel. And so this is a long way to go for this answer to this question. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. So go. Okay. All right. Great. Great. Um, and so this led to me submitting to um, a magazine called Hoods, H-O-O-D-Z, uh, Hoods Magazine. It was their inaugural issue. And I submitted to them and they wrote back and they were like, we don't even take fiction, but we're going to take this. <laughs> and, uh, and it was, this, what was the name of that story? Uh, uh, Wages of Sin? Daggone, I've done blank down on the, my own story. My first sale. Oh, Soul Food. Wages of Sin was a, it's a, an early draft title. Uh, it was called Soul Food. Um, and it was about a sin eater. Uh, it was a sin eater in the hood type now, uh, short story. And uh, that was my first sale. Hood's Magazine. Wow. I still have the check for $25 around here somewhere. <laughs> That's great. Um, but, you, you, and listen, your short stories are fantastic. Your collection of Voice of Martyrs is, it was, is, um, is was my one of my reads of the year the year that i read it and um it's it's really uh, a fantastic piece of work and what's really cool about it is is that uh the stories are are really um you kind of have the then now kind of future like take to it and uh one of the things that i really like about the stories is there's a real spiritual edge to them and uh which I know is uh, part of your personality. And it, it, it's funny, we'll talk about how your personality comes out um, <laughs> in Sweep of Stars because I was, I was referring to my wife, I was talking to my wife about this book and I was talking about how your personality comes out in the book. And, and, I, um, and it was funny because she said, I thought you only like hung out with the guy once. And I said, yeah, but I, I, I think I learned his personality pretty good, <laughs> pretty good that day. And I saw it in this book and it's one of those things where um, where it's something I really appreciate about your work is that um, I feel like I get to know you as in reading your work. And you're one of those authors who I feel really comfortable, like, you know, like I, I know I'm reading Maurice Broadus work because there are certain things and we'll get into it when we get into yeah. the book. But I really like how you put your personality into your work. You don't a lot of authors are afraid to do that. And I actually 
love and appreciate that when an author does. So yeah, it's, fun, it's funny. I literally was just having this conversation an hour ago because um, uh, I was at church and a friend of mine was just like, is it weird that I'm a friend of yours and a fan of yours? Uh, and I was telling him, I was like, look, I, I like that because I pour so much of myself into my work. You're like, I want my friends to read it at that certain level and go, no, you're reading me. You were yeah. learning me, you're, 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 and I want I, I want to put that edge out there as part of my as part of my voice as a writer. Yeah, and I think um, you're one of those authors where if I didn't see the title or the the author, I'm I'm gonna figure it out at some point. I'm gonna figure out like you know, um, and it's funny too because some authors like it's a, it's in a really strange way, like Brian Evanson. Like you're you're gonna figure out that it's him, but. It's not so much his personality, it's his voice. Whereas I think a lot of this is it's both. And I really, I do appreciate that. Now, some of your, your first like real novels that I remember were, um, was your King Arthur retelling, mm. which is um, a series of books that, um, oh, that Kings of Betancourt. Uh, uh, Knights of Betancourt. Knights of Betancourt. Yes. Yeah. And um, I, you know, that was the first time I read your work. And of course I was interested because it took place in Indianapolis and I grew up near there. And, you know, like, I know what 38th street means in Indianapolis. Right. Just, right. you know, and, and so certain things like that, it just really spoke to me and I, I just really love those books, but can you give folks a little, just a, a nugget about what those books were and what it meant to your career starting oh, yeah. off with that series? Absolutely. So, uh, up until that point, I was sort of making my bones as a, as a horror writer. Um, I'd had a, a few uh, horror novellas published at this point. I think, uh, I think I had like two or three novellas published at this point and about, I don't know, 10 or 20 stories published at this point. Um, and so I was writing, I was writing this coming of age horror novel, at least to my mind, that's what I was writing. I was writing coming of age horror novel. Um, uh, because I've, I've been working with a, a ministry called Outreach Inc. And it's a ministry for homeless teenagers. And uh, and I was doing some writing exercises with them, and and uh, and, and I, I don't know. I'd thrown out this line of about being princes and princesses of the streets, and for some reason that image just stuck with me. And uh, so then I started writing, like, what what could that look like? And so I started telling the story of King Arthur through the through the eyes of uh, homeless teenagers and, and gang members, and and it was just it was literally just a writing exercise for me. I was I was doing like NaNoWriMo that month, that year, so. I was like, well, let me just do this as my NaNoWriMo exercise and everything. Um, and like I said, and then, I, you know, then I went back to my usual routine of writing horror novels and that sort of thing. And, um, uh, there was a call for submissions from Angry Robot. And, uh, and they had said that they, we were looking for, uh, you know, out of the box type books uh, in the vein of Neil Gaiman. And uh, I'm just like, oh, wait, that, that sounds like me. And so I had actually submitted them a different mouth. Uh, and so I, I'd send it, send it in. It was a it was a kind of a police procedural investigating the death of a god uh, or death of a goddess actually, and, uh, and well, that the, sounds the, awesome publisher, too. <laughs> right? And so I'm, I'm like I was right there, so I was like, and I'm like, you couldn't ask for a more Neil Gaiman type book pitch than this, and uh, and then the, the publisher writes back, the editor writes back, and he's like, look, we're we're never using the phrase in the name of in the vein of Neil Gaiman again because we got like a half dozen police procedurals investigating the death of a god type novels. And uh, so he's like, but I like your writing style. Do you have anything else? 
And so, uh, so I pitched him on, on this book that I was working on. You know, I was like, it's uh, Excalibur meets The Wire. And he was like, if you can make that work, we will buy that book. Right. And, um, and, so, and then, then we were off and running after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that and those books are uh, super entertaining, very, very, very meaningful, great stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, was my introduction to your work. That's where I started and then kind of worked back reading stories and things. And um, but so and, and another thing, too, like in the collection, one of the cool things is, is that you have. Uh, steampunk stories which you you have a novella a steampunk novella buffalo soldier uh that's great um which i have reviewed on my site um it, and you, but you've done the steampunk thing you've done some science fiction in the collection so you've you've touched on all these things but i think pimp my airship too is like a big deal for you which is one of your it's an early steampunk story for you right but it, it's like kind of like because it got published in voice martyrs like it recently won some awards and some some things right so could you tell people about that story and where that came from yeah so that came from so there was a, <laughs> well i mean in all honesty it came from a joke on twitter um i was a. Uh, on twitter I, I didn't i don't i didn't know much about the steampunk genre i knew enough to make exactly one joke on twitter uh and i said i'm gonna write a steampunk uh story with all an all-black cast and call it pimp my airship uh, and that was that was the whole joke and uh you know i hit send on the tweet and then uh a half dozen editors hit me up and said when you finish that story send it to us and i was like oh Oh crap! I might be onto something. <laughs> so uh, right. Uh, so I end up writing this story, and uh, and Jason Sizemore ends up with it over at Apex Magazine, and uh, and and I knew even as I was writing that story, I was like, this is this is probably career defining for me in a lot of ways because I mean it came out it came out the year so I just sold uh, Kingmaker book one of the Night Spring Court series. I just sold that one. Um, and then I, 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 I sold my airship and I was just like, between those two things, I might be moving out of horror into other areas. Um, right. I just didn't, didn't realize just how, how much that would be. So print my airship, when it came out, it was like one of the first, uh, black steampunk <laughs> stories period. Um, and so then other folks started asking me to write. So I ended up writing, uh, man, probably a smooth dozen or so short stories in the same universe, same, same steampunk universe, probably a dozen stories, plus uh, plus Buffalo Soldier, the, the novella. I wrote a novelette, uh, Babylon Systems, that came out last year in a magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Um, but then I'd also, I I'd revisited uh, Pimp My Airship and I was like, because uh, one of the criticisms of the story was that, that people were like, well, we like the story and everything, but we could feel like there was a whole world there that we didn't get to see. Um, and I'm like, well, of course, because they were a, they were only paying me for a short story, and then B, you know, I've now written like almost a dozen stories in this world because yeah, there was a whole world there. But I, I wanted to see if I could specifically turn uh, pit my airship into a novel, and then uh, I did, um, and it languished in my trunk because again, I like with a uh, Kingmaker, it's like it was a writing exercise for me that I hadn't intended to, to publish, but then uh, an opportunity popped up, and I was just like, well, I have this novel just sitting here, and. Uh, and it was with a Apex, as a matter of fact, back to Apex, and uh, we were off and running. And then, yeah, I won the uh, Indiana Authors Award uh, with, with that with that novel. 
Well, what's I, I think what the what those stories set in that kind of steampunk universe do also is they show your skill for world building, which Sweep of Stars does too. And 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 we we will we will drill down on that world building in <laughs> okay. just probably one more question. Um, <laughs> but the other thing too that you've been doing that people should know about is you've been writing um, middle grade fiction work and. <laughs> I think that that has a lot to do with your work as a teacher or working with kids. And um, so I do think it's cool that you're doing that. It may appeal less to my listeners than some of your other work, but, um, and it's funny too, because those are, I have looked at your books, your middle grade books. And I, I look at them and I realize that these are not for me. They're not, they're not written for my age group, but I really respect what you're doing with them. And and think it's really cool. I looked at Usual Suspects, which was was really neat. And oh, um, oh, you'd be surprised how much adult appeal they have, apparently. Yeah, yeah, and I know <laughs> that. And, and and I'm not. I'm I. They're really. I, I'm not knocking them. I I right. think that they're really cool. Yeah. Um, my my my, my my goal actually with writing those. I I was actually trying to write something that my my boys in particular would read. But I was trying to do Walter Mosley for kids. Like, could right. I nail that? And that, and that, that's always been the lens I try to write those books through. Yeah. And, and look, and, and I think it's, it's, it's a really cool thing, but like getting into that voice of, of, of um, middle grade fiction and, and you're doing it now, you, you told me right before we got on that you're working on a book for this, like what's, mm-hmm. what's the different, I mean, how do you, how do you look at the writing process for that different? Do you have to like modulate your voice a little bit? I mean, yeah, you must a little bit. Uh, yeah, but you know what? I it's surprisingly little that I do because people will think that you know, well, you write middle grade, then you gotta you know dumb it down and blah blah blah. And I'm like, you no, no. it's the exact opposite. Because yeah. uh, uh, middle schoolers are a sophisticated reading reading group, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and you know they accept no BS. They you know you and, and they know when people are talking down to them. And so I I don't I I do not talk down to them in the books. Um, I write fairly complex storylines and, and characters um which inevitably leads to a discussions with my editors about whether or not you know like is this really how a middle schooler would act and or, or behave and i'm like oh oh trust me i'm actually i'm actually toning it down for you with some, you know some of their answers. <laughs> right <laughs> so, and language because uh apparently I, I can't write middle school lang- uh, dialogue the way they actually speak in school so like all right, right, well, I'll, right, I'll, right. I'll tone that down but uh yeah other than that um uh, yeah I, I make it a point not to uh to, not, to change not my to voice to, yeah 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 because yeah, yeah exactly and, and most of us started reading this stuff when we were you know i you know how many of us started reading stephen king when we were in middle See, school yeah. and that's the thing i'm like if, if I dumb it down, they're just going to go read Stephen King or read, you know, any of these other authors because, you know, there's stuff that they are looking for. So, yes, I, yeah, I definitely don't dumb it down for them. Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's get into Sweep of Stars. For those who are on YouTube, I'm holding up my cop, my pre-ordered copy for Mysterious Galaxies. And uh, I made the mistake, well, see, because I pre-ordered it like four months ahead of time, now they got a bunch of signed copies that, that, um, you know, uh, that you signed at the LA book fair and oh yeah they told me I could have switched it out for one but I had dog-eared mine so many times <laughs> that I was like all right I just had to track down Marie sometime next time I'm in Indiana and get it signed yep 
Uh, I, and, I think I could make that sacrifice. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing. Um, one of the reasons why I pre-ordered this book is because from the moment you announced I'm doing a space opera trilogy, I was like immediately sold. <laughs> Maurice is doing <laughs> a space opera trilogy. I said, okay, I, I'm in. And holy crap, this is so good. So so um, the basic idea or what, tell us like what you pitched and, and, and what Tor bought basically Ooh. to start with. Because <laughs> I think that's a part of the story because they, yeah, they bought the concept before you wrote it, right? Correct, correct. Um, I remember I was having, uh, having drinks with uh, the, the editor, uh, Diana Foe, and, and she was asking me what I was thinking about writing next. And, uh, and I, you know, I talked to her about, you know, my airship and a couple of things I, I was working on. But uh, and she's like, well, you know, what, what, what's coming after that? And I was just like, well, I have this, uh, this, one, this one idea about writing, you know, basically, you know, what if my sister and her friends were a military unit uh, out in space exploring the universe? And uh, and she was just like, you know what, you you give you get me an outline for that, and, and we we could move forward on on a, on a book like that. And I'm like, okay. And, and I and I sort of pitched it as a, well, actually, I hadn't even had the full pitch that then yeah, that was pretty much the sole idea I had uh, at the time. So then I, I go back to start working on this outline, but then that whole world building part of me kicks in. So I'm just like, well, what sort of world would send this all female military unit out into space to do any sort of exploration? And so. I start doing this world building. I probably spent, man, must have been a year easy thinking through this world mm -hmm. um, and, and, and build, building uh, all the different aspects to it. And, uh, and so by, by the time I was done with all the world building, I was just like, man, if I write a book that is just this unit off in space, you know, I'm learning the example from Pit My Airship, which is people are going to come back and go, yeah, there was a whole world there we wanted to see. Right, um, and, right, and you did, and you didn't let us see it. So I'm like, okay, and so, uh, so I and so I wrote, wrote this outline, and and basically there are three main storylines I, I pitched, and, and and so when I sold it, it I've written the three sample chapters and sent them the outline, and then said, hey, this is uh, think of it as uh, Black Panther meets Game of Thrones in space, and uh, and, and so the the three major storylines fo you know follow the the, the main community uh, the intergalactic uh, community known as a Moongano. You, you know there's a uh, we'll just say there's a succession storyline that's involved in that in that in, their, in that storyline then we get to see the military unit exploring the other side of a wormhole um, and we have a, a generational starship that's powered by jazz music that is uh, exploring our universe also and so it's uh, these three main storylines that, uh, that interweave for a sweep of stars right and what one of the things that's so amazing about so you had like these storylines and these things and th so then you, you had to tie them all together and i know a lot of the um kind of marketing material from from the publisher and a lot of the ways people were selling it was um the expanse meets black panther and i think that's right. fair as well right. um however uh yeah that, that's that's how the pitch evolved it evolved into black panther meets expanse yeah and i think it, it's funny because for me um, what I, I, I took it as a little bit of Afrofuturist Dune too, because that, because there is the families thing. However, mm -hmm. I think the reason why people want to make the expanse comparison is because it is set in our solar system. Right. So 
and in in this afro futurist society is mm-hmm. throughout the solar system yeah and so it's important the timeline too when we get into and, and i think it, it really now the, here's the thing and i said this in my review of the book there's some people who find dune too dense and they just like can't go there because you know whereas even as when i read dune in seventh grade i was just like willing to be like okay i don't get some of it mm-hmm. but i'm just gonna go with it i can read that way and i think for for me there's there's a way to read sweep of stars where you just have to be swept away with it a little bit. However, you put a timeline and a glossary in there. So you don't have to, right? But the way you read this, there are two ways. I didn't refer to the glossary and the timeline that much when I read it, because I just oh. like, let it sweep me a little bit. Okay. Every once in a while, I'd be like, well, I'm not sure who this is. <laughs> I'd go to it. And and then when I, and I told you I had to stop reading in the middle because I had a a writing deadline myself. I did go back and read the timeline before I started reading halfway through (laughs) after Mm -hmm. taking three days off. Right. And when I did that, I was like, okay, a lot of this makes more sense to me when I'm looking at it. But what's cool about it is, is that for me, as somebody who's a fan of world building, I really loved this universe and what was going on so we're going to drill down a little bit on that i don't think anything is going to be super spoilery but if anyone really wants the to be completely clean on it know that i'm telling you right now you want to read (laughs) sweep of stars you can pause it now you can come (laughs) back because we're going to get really deep into it you've heard the pitch you've heard the idea Okay, but I don't think there's anything that's going to ruin the book. Um, But I think also you might get more of it if you read it and come back because we're going to get into how Maurice created this. So that's just just putting that out there for the listeners that this could be a pause and come back type moment. Now, the novel is set against the backdrop of this African diaspora empire, um, and I don't want to butcher the pronunciation but it's the magano empire uh yeah. like am i saying it right like, I, I look here because uh, uh when when they came to me about the audiobook they were like well how do you pronounce this and i'm like look here i wrote it <laughs> i i had no intentions of actually saying any of this out loud um which <laughs> you know was how, how happened to me with my chinese it. vampire novel i just See? like people were asking me pronunciations and i'm like yeah that's i'm terrible I, I, yeah nah, right like their words you 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 figure it out and then i i'll take my cues from you but i've been going with uh moongano moongano uh, right okay now so this is set after a post-ecological collapse mm-hmm. and what's what's going on with the timeline that might make things like kind of fudgy and interesting for people is that the way this alternate history works is that some of the people escaped on a generational ship from the African diaspora. That, so their ship was launched at post-ecological collapse to save part of this community from Africa. And oops, they ended up falling back in time. So while our history is going on, they're building this whole empire on the far side of the moon where they can remain hidden, right? So this is where you can have like this huge 
like they've had technical they've had years to have technological advancement and and move themselves throughout and they set up a city called the dreaming city on the moon um so this history you were you building this independently when you were doing the outline like completely or did some of this come during the writing process of the novel i am so glad you asked that question uh, so one your, your comparison earlier the the afrofuturist dune thing i i like that idea because i know that uh, during one of the drafts i was really feeling my dune weedies at that point I was just <laughs> right. like, oh man i'm doing i'm like oh and that because that's when it's at that point i was just like i want to have a a diagram for the, the the governing families. I want to have a timeline. I want to have a glossary. I'm like at this point, yeah. At that point, I was like really like this is it. This is my, uh, you know, because I was like you don't make it as a as a genre writer. So you have a book out that has that has to have a glossary. That was that's that's literally where I was at with my my thinking <laughs> as far as that went. Um, but you talked about my my uh, collection of voices of martyrs. And uh, so, uh, so, uh, so that book, yeah, is divided into. Stories that take place in the past, and then in, in the present, and in the future. And then, uh, as I was actually, I was revisiting that uh, that uh, uh, collection, and uh, and then it hit me because I I've been writing all these other science fiction pieces, and I was just like, man, what if these were all in the same universe? Yeah. Uh, and then I was just like, wow. So this, so in a lot of ways, the Astro Black trilogy is almost like the unifying work that unifies all the. Because like at this point, I'd had probably a half dozen stories, you know, a half dozen to a dozen, you know, short, uh, science fiction short stories that have been published at this point. And I'm like, yeah, this could actually unify all the stories. So let me let me drill down a bit on that and like see how, how these independent short stories shape this world. And so um, as I had approached some of these stories and was putting the pieces together, that was just like, oh man, it's, it's like part of me knew I would one day do this book uh, because all the pieces fit together just naturally. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah so it's always like so some of these comic. some of these elements yeah. you had in stories already thought out mm -hmm. like right. back in the day right yeah and, well, some of, and, and it some of it sounded familiar to me and and for that reason mm -hmm. and then also it's just smart as a writer because it gives people a reason who are fans of this book to like go back and get the short story collection because right right you know, well at, at this point like, i think like two or three of the like one or I think one or two of the stories in the collection uh, have impact, and actually, one, uh, actually have impact for more for book two. Uh, so there's there's that hint going along. Um, but uh, but I'd also after post that collection, I I I'd really because like <laughs> I've got to back up a little bit. When when the reviews came out for Voices of the Martyr, that was when the uh, that was the first time I'd been called an Afrofuturist. And uh, and I had no idea what that even meant at the time. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing these reviews calling me an Afrofuturist, and I'm like, Afro what now? And uh, and so uh, I I started leaning into that, started writing some more science fiction pieces. And so uh, like the what was that story? Ella's a spaceship melody is a, a a novelette I wrote that was published in uh, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, and that was the first time we see the starship that's been powered by jazz music. Um, and then but then again, like I said, I was like. Yeah, I want all of these to be part of this cohesive world. What does it? What would it look like to build this cohesive world? What culture would unify all these different aspects um, of the of these stories that, I, that I'm, I'm trying to uh, string together? And, and uh, yeah, that was that was the writing challenge of it all. Right, and so, but the Cold War stalemate in the 2120 
with the Orin Gate is kind of mm-hmm. like the 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 thing that sets the story this story yep. in motion. Yep, that's the jump off point. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then it kind of and that that's where the the families kind of start coming together. But now, well, and it's funny that I mentioned this, and then I'm going to double back to the Afrofuturist <laughs> thing, like okay. it's a really stupid way. Here's this big thing, but I'm going to go back now. But no, not every writer likes being called an Afrofuturist, you know, in that sense. And I know Nadia Corafor has been very clear that she's an African futurist and, mm-hmm. and like saying the difference between between it. And, and that's partially because a lot of her fiction and and another one of the best reads of my year this year was her book, Noor. Um, and because it's set in Africa, it's like actually in Africa. And I mm-hmm. think that's part of the distinction. But um, so you didn't even know what that thing was. But now that you know what know, know what it is, do you feel comfortable with that title with this book? Because oh, I, oh. you know, from absolutely. an outsider perspective, I think it makes sense. I, oh, no, absolutely. I mean, it's a, a perfect uh, definition for what it, what I, I, I'm doing, because I'm centering uh, Black culture, and by Black culture, I'm defined as an African-American culture. I'm centering that culture um, in these stories and, and speculating about what, what things could look like for us in the future. And so I am perfectly comfortable with, with that term. Yeah. Now, um, so with this inciting incident and these things that, that move the story forward, though, we, we have the Dreaming City that is a place that has existed and and this is a perfect example of where I want to give how how world building where the the rubber meets the road, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things is when I say that I let the wave go with me and I kind of catch up to things. Um, since you mentioned Indianapolis being the capital of that, which which we, we need to come back to of of right. of OEs, like which is basically the new form of the um, United Nations. When I'm letting things sweep me along for a little while, I got a little confused of what the Dreaming City was versus the capital because I'm letting things flow over me. Mm-hmm. And what's, 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 what I want to talk about, which is interesting about how world building works, is that sometimes as an author, you know that not everyone's going to be catching everything at the same time and they're going to be catching back up to things and they can go back to things. And that's one of the things where the glossary is helpful. Mm-hmm. But in that sense, you know, you've got a lot of balls that you're juggling as far as creating this world and these things, like how much of, so did you, you made all these charts and, and glossaries and things before you started? No. No. Uh, you were making well, them as you went. It's, it actually is a bit of both. So like the, one of the first things I did was literally that timeline. Uh, so I could have it in my head. What is it? And, and, and the, Actually, the timeline I have is different from the one that's in the book because the one that I have actually marks out the, the stories that had been published, where they occurred in that timeline. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd have that part of it straight in my head too. So you had to um, make a separate for the book timeline. Yeah. Right, exactly. Makes sense. And so, uh, and so like originally I was, uh, th- this, this book was supposed to take place a thousand years from now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for, as a world building issue, I was just like, yeah, I suck at technology. And so all the tech that I'm imagining, I'm betting would, it won't be here in a thousand years. It'll probably be here in a hundred plus years, uh, it, you know, just from, from my own imagining. So it's like, well, now I'm about to compress my timeline down into something. Now, what does it look like? Um, so that, that was an issue, but 
here's the other piece, because uh, and I can come back to the short stories uh, aspect of this is as I'm building this world, there are whole elements and, and pieces in even in that timeline that you mentioned, I'm like, not necessarily thought out real well in my head. It's like, I have the date there, but I'm like, what does that even mean? Um, and so then I'll write a whole short story to flesh out that idea or flesh out that period of time. So it would be more concrete in my head so I could keep writing the novel. Mm -hmm. And so even in the process of writing this novel of just Sweep of Stars, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm trying to unify, you know, six stories or so that had already been published, but I end up writing another probably 10 short stories in this world so I can have it solidified in my head. Mm -hmm. um, and then even as I'm, you know, writing the, you know, I'm now into book two, but like now the magic system has to be really fleshed out for book two, which meant, oh, I've now written like four or five stories so I can figure out what the magic system is um, and mm -hmm. the origins of that magic system so I can have that clear in my head as I write book two. So and uh, any of these stories, ones that you've thought about, like shortening, tightening, putting or, or melding into the novel, or they just don't fit? They, they... Um, uh, my original goal was to, uh, uh, at the end of each book, include one or two of the short stories. Mm -hmm. um, but then, because like, uh, like in the first, in the early draft of uh, Sweep of Stars, I had uh, which novel? Uh, I had one of the novelette, novel, uh, yeah, I had one of the novelettes in the back of it. Um, but then <laughs> book one started getting really, really long. <laughs> and so right. uh, they were like, yeah, why don't we uh, not not do this and just go straight for, uh, uh, ju just for the book with the glossary and the other charts and everything. And I'm like, okay, that, that makes sense. But uh, how do y'all feel about a short story collection down the road? They're like, we'll, we'll cross that bridge. <laughs> right. Now, um, getting that African Afrofuturist feel, I, I, I'm assuming that is not not a problem for you. That is something that that comes naturally or is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, it would probably be I don't, <laughs> sometimes maybe harder not to do it. Right. Right. For, for you know, because it comes well, out in all your work in a little. Right. Bit. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, um you know, like a lot of the inspiration for the, the Astro Black Trilogy comes from, like uh, like I said, with the uh, Night Supreme Court, I was working with uh, a, 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 homeless, a homeless teenage, uh, homeless teen ministry. Now I'm working, doing a lot of community organizing work um, through a group called the, the Kepper Institute. And so uh, and that's a, a very culturally black space that, uh, that we uh, organize neighbors with. We uh, do all sorts of different work in the community, everything from you know uh, networking farms to uh, housing, uh, education, environmental work, uh, work in the arts. So I mean, we have all these different tendrils, you know, that we're working with as, as an organization, and uh, and then uh, so I end up modeling a lot of, of what goes on in, uh, in in the Mungano community on the work that we were doing in Kepra, which challenges the work of Kepra because then I'm just like, hey, what is it we're working towards? What would our ideal world look like? Mm -hmm. And uh, and so you have this tension of, uh, you know, the work impacting the, the art and then the art impacting the work. And that, that, that's that space that I, I seem to be inhabiting at the moment. Right. Well, and, you know, it's funny because uh, there's probably, look, Le Guin and Spinrad get a lot of attention for writing anarchist science fiction, but there's one part in in this 
book where one of the characters is looking at a map of the Magano, uh, Mangano territory lit up and from, and it says from the dreaming city to Mars, the mining outpost, no borders per se, not the way old earth might define them, only communities of alliance. This is what they all fought so hard to forge. They needed a new vocabulary to describe the experiment they embarked upon. Empire wasn't it. A budding cooperation cradled in a sweep of stars. So that's kind of like, to me, I always look for mission statements when I do these interviews or I'm mm-hmm. with authors, like, what is your mission statement? What are we working for? To me, this was like, that's 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 it that's it right there I while you're reading that i literally got chills i was like crap i wrote that <laughs> right. like, yes, now, that's it that's it and and here's the thing is i think so far and and i made the mistake sometimes of, of reading other people's reviews like i usually don't do it till after i've written mine mm-hmm. and I, I i didn't see anybody <laughs> i didn't see very many people catching on to the radical, like um, like Afro anarchist element <laughs> of the this cooperative nature of this, and it seems like that comes from that group you're working with, where you're trying to to work in an activist style, right? Right. right. And so, like this future has a very activist feel. Like you can feel these elements like as somebody who's done activist organizing where everyone tries to do cooperative consensus-based organizing, you can see it here. And one of the things that's great, if you look at Cadwell Turnbull or just like, there's a lot of Afrofuturist, Afro-African diaspora writers who are hitting these in science fictional spaces right now. And it's so important such an important part of sweep stars i just i really thumbs up thank you that was to me that was a mission statement i don't know if you have anything you more you want to go into that no uh, no it just uh, no uh, you're you're right i mean there it feels very intentional it feels like there's a, an activist and anarchist <laughs> spirit to it uh and and yeah it's radical in a lot of ways but i mean a lot of the radicalism of it is you know just us valuing each other as humans and the fact that we that that can be seen as so radical, you know, kind of is its own critique of where we find ourselves these days. Now, and this one is a little bit of a spoiler, but again, I like you know people can skip ahead if they want if they want to, or again, I think you should have read this book by you get to, get to this part of this discussion. <laughs> but the Hellfighters, the soldiers, they were the original intention that these characters. Right. So when they like shoot ahead and like become like pirates and do that whole thing like that's that's a big deal for this for this story and this narrative is they make that decision to do that but knowing that they were kind of the inciting thing of of mm-hmm. of the story it's funny to me because they 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 are like one spine of it right but a huge part of the world building that makes it what it is 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 with them because they were the ones that had that like the keeper of the belt and you know like that whole scene where like you know they have notorious big's belt right and they have and these are like like the the jazz powered starship these are the elements where you have these characters being the ones that want to connect to black culture on old earth 
and and so that's an important element because yeah. I know it seems like a silly like kind of like a gag, right. the keepers of the belt thing. But to me, like that was a very important part of grounding mm -hmm. that there are people who remember old Earth yeah. that remember, and and it's very important part of it because these characters w don't want to forget the struggle right. that the african diaspora had before they were able to have their own separate culture so right. to me that was a really important part not just a gag yeah. no no it was very much so um so i mean and, and they are they are the hova hellfighters um hova being you know it's a jay-z reference um a lot of their their personal rifles are named after uh, hip-hop figures or, or references to figure uh, hip hop figures. Their command structure is referencing uh, hip hop figures, um, and and the keepers of the belt is uh, one of the religious factions in the community. But there's also a cult of Tupac that's actually mentioned in one of the short stories. Uh, so that's their, their, their right. right. So uh, so yeah, on one level, yeah, it's fun, and I'm being goofy, and you know, I'm just revealing, you know, I'm just reveling in my hip hop nerdum. Um, but on the other hand, yeah, I'm very much grounding this in a very specific culture in a very specific way. Um, it is one of the, the most important scenes of world building that's there. And it I, and I can tell that there's more to it in, mm -hmm. in the short stories, like just from, from what I read. But the other thing, and, and this is true every time I cover a book, I, a lot of times I like to find those scenes where I'm like, I saw what you did. I know what <laughs> you're doing. I really like it. And mm -hmm. I know some people might have glossed over it, but to me that beyond just being like a fun exchange in the book and a funny part, um, and yes, it was funny. It did make me laugh, but <laughs> at the same time, I do, I think you're doing something important. And, and what I really love is when you can balance a scene that's amusing and funny and also poignant and make an important point because the fact that there's people who like refuse to ignore like the struggles that we're actually living through right now and it's really interesting because i just i just visited portland and um and being that i live in san diego like we didn't have a we had protests after george floyd and and that whole thing but that city like for like you talk to people and anyone in portland and they'll say Oh, everything changed after George Floyd. George Floyd had a huge impact on that whole city mm -hmm. because the whole city erupted like everywhere. And it was interesting to me because that didn't happen where I live, right? And because I was reading this book and that scene of like, well, I don't want to forget about that. You know, that was fresh in my mind when I kept having those discussions because I was reading this yep. book, you know? Anyways, just... I wanted to give you an interesting experience of my experience of reading Swift yeah. Stars. And, right. well, and yeah, I don't no, want to take too much more of your time. I know you're a busy guy. Um, no, no problem, no problem. But a few other things with Sweep of Stars that, um, yes, you made uh, Indianapolis the capital of the new future UN. Um, I'm, I'm sure you were just having fun with, <laughs> fun with that. But, um, but as somebody from Indiana, I, I, that, that gave me a little, little yeah. smile too. Um, well, part of that was so someone said, but when the, the book deal got announced, because uh, they, they've seen my track record, they know that you know, most of my books are, are, are in Indianapolis, they center in Indianapolis. I mean, my airship is basically a, a, a historical reimagining of Indianapolis. I and, see. They challenged you to get Indianapolis into right. it. Right. They were like, how are you going to do that? And I'm like, oh, challenge accepted. 
Uh, and then when I was thinking through this and I was just like, well, wait a second, we got an ecological disaster. The, the city of Indianapolis is actually the exact same layout as DC. Mm-hmm. That, that was very intentional. And so it made sense in my head then that if DC went away, uh, the new capital could very easily shift to Indianapolis because right in the center of the country, center of the country, uh, you know, exact same uh, layout and like, oh, yes, this makes perfect sense to me. And uh, and then now capital of the planet. So, yes, we'll just go with that. Okay, now and the other thing about like putting your personality into this. um, So the the patriarch of, of of the family and mm-hmm. I was going with Zola as that's uh, what I go with. Yep. Yeah. Which is cool. Cause my mother's name was Zola actually, but Z O L A. So, but um, that was the pronunciation I was going with, but um, mm-hmm. you know, here's this guy who's kind of a goofball, likes annoying his family, like, you yeah. know, <laughs> and, and, and uh, but serious when he needs to be and all those things. It was funny. That was the scene where I where I was reading it, and I was like, "Oh, this, this sounds like Maurice." And I had to say to my my wife, "said You've only hung out with him once." And I said, "Yeah, but I also watched him annoy his sons, right, in a really fun way, <laughs> like on that one day." And, and the crazy part is, is uh, and that this is actually a, a weird reflection now that you point this out. Is Zola's actually based on another friend of mine, uh, and he and I get, and, and he's actually one of the co-founders of the Kepler Institute. Uh, but he and I get together every Saturday for for, for coffee, and uh, as we get together, and oh man, the fact that we are that alike is actually more disturbing than I want to think about at right now. But, uh, <laughs> but we would get together on Saturday mornings, and and uh, and like our whole uh, yes, we have all this community work we're doing, but our Saturday mornings were just dedicated to us being black nerds and arguing about whatever came to mind, like how would AI function in community or, you know, these sort of things. And so, uh, so yeah, that, uh, oh man, oh man, we're, oh, so now, no, <laughs> sorry, now I'm stuck here going, man, we are so alike. Oh, it could be why we like spending so much time together like, like we do. And, uh, uh, cause yeah, there's another character that someone else uh, pointed out to me today. Cause they were just like, Hey, is this you? And cause I, I haven't, a lot of times I, I kind of intentionally put myself in, into my stories, but like with Pin My Airship and with Sweep the Stars, I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let the characters flow from where they flow. And then someone pointed out, yeah, but Sophie Jefferson in Pin My Airship, that is you. Uh, and then uh, someone came back with uh, Sweep the Stars and said, the Bayard character, you know, the guy who's uh, thinking through what his faith means, who's thinking through Christianity through the lens of the, of the diaspora and what that, his, and that historical lens and his struggles uh, within his faith, that sounds awfully familiar. And I'm just like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I, all right, I don't so, know. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing is, I think we're all in every page that we write right. to a certain I degree. I think you're absolutely right. You are absolutely it, right. But, and I, I don't know, I think too, part of it is, is that, and I could be in denial also. There's also that. that piece. Well, well, and the other thing too is that you've been a part of this community and by doing MoCon and by doing things and, you know, I've listened to you on podcasts too. So I know a little bit about your personality beyond just the, the time we hung out. But, <laughs> right, right. But, but I think one of the, I just, I really do enjoy that aspect of your books that you put your personality yeah. so heavy into it. Cause some writers are afraid to do that. And, and, um, 
you know, uh, I, I think it's it's one of the strengths. So here's uh, the other, the last like real thing that I'm I, I want to drill down on a little bit with Sweep of Stars is once once you had this um, kind of setup that you had to you're mapping a trilogy, you're 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 doing these things, and one of the things I thought to myself when I read it is is and I have a problem when I when I read other people's reviews because obviously sometimes I think like a writer and I know you're saving things and you're building things up for, for further books. And sometimes people who uh, are just readers aren't thinking of these things, but I'm thinking, thinking (laughs) ahead. And I, Uh and I, and I see some somewhat of where you're going with this, but obviously uh, building a trilogy, like, you must be extremely excited about where you're going. Now you said you've turned, you've turned in book two, you're, you're, you're reworking it now. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how give us a little tease of without getting into story or ruining it, give, give right. us where we're going with this, with the series. So, and obviously uh, you're saying you have short stories. You could go beyond this trilogy. I, I absolutely could. Absolutely could. Um, and so the big theme for book two is at the end of Sweep of Stars, a lot of the characters find them find themselves in very different places um, by, by the end of by the end of the book. And so, uh, so the theme for book two is how do we carry the spirit of Mungano with us, no matter where we find ourselves, and then how do we create it wherever we are. Um, so that, that's the big picture theme of, of book two, but uh, but when you talk about uh, and when you talk about, you know, how much do we have planned in advance and how do, how do we map these things out? Um, I was working, I was halfway through book two. Uh, so there's a, uh, again, without doing any spoilers, and we've been really good about non-spoilery stuff, by the way. So we've been really good yeah. about that. Um, and so, but there is a murder that happens or, or a death that happens in book, in Sweep of Stars. And so halfway through um because uh, the book two is called Breath of Oblivion. So halfway through Breath of Oblivion, I, I call up my assistant and I'm just like, I just figured out who killed so-and-so. And he was just like, wait, you didn't know when you wrote that? And I'm like, no, I just figured I'd figure it out along the way at some point. And I figured it out. He, and he's like, who is it? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to reveal it until book three. So you're going to have to really just wait. because I, 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 And I said, but I did sow all the seeds for it in book one. I figured it out in book two. I won't reveal it till book three. So right. there's a whole lot of stuff. Whole, it, yeah, there's a whole lot of moving parts to this. And you're right. And it is, that's the excitement of it for me. You're right. We did stay away from spoilers for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah. Well, and that's one of the things that's fun about this book too, is that there is the political space opera. There is the, there's the murder mystery. There's all the elements of like a fun, trilogy and story but also i think the strength of this book is it's character driven um it's very uh in in the world building is really incredible you can tell that you have like thought it out beyond what's on the page and i think that that comes off in every in every bit of it now one of the things that's really important about the best kind of world building is the best kind of world building um to me is done subtle and kind of sliding by and maybe you have to go back and look at things. And that's one of the reasons why I'm willing to, to ride the wave 
uh, with world building. And if I have to kind of go back and look at things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would suggest to people too, that it, they made it this far and they haven't read the book yet. Um, that uh, just, just ride that wave. If you want to look at the glossary or the timeline, you can, you don't have to. Um, I didn't look at it a ton. I, yeah. I went without it. And in fact, I'm not even sure I knew the glossary was there until I was part, part of the way through the book. <laughs> um, here's the other thing too. Um, uh, uh, another reminder, as I always do, if you don't want to uh, buy the book, request it at your library. If they don't already have it, authors love and need people to go into the libraries and request books. Um, if they don't already have it, it's a good chance they will since it's a tour book. Um, but, and then the other thing too, is even if you buy it, there's nothing to stop you from going into your library and requesting it at the same time. Absolutely. Authors appreciate that. Also, uh, stick a review up. Uh, that's always important for the authors and spread word of mouth. Um, it's really important that people do that. Um, this is a book that I think, um, when there's a book two and book three out, people are a lot of times science fiction readers want a whole series. So there, there are people who are going to wait and discover this. And I say, don't do that. <laughs> like go and do it now. Um, and so I'm speaking to you people that wait for th- books two and three, you know, it's fine. You'll be fine. Uh, but anyway, so anything else you want to say in sweep of stars? I just wanted to get that out there. Um, no, it's I, just, I saw a great staff pick um, uh, card at uh, Powell's uh, nice. on Hawthorne in, in Portland. I was super stoked to see that there. I know um, I sold a copy of Sweep of Stars when we did our live Blade Runner event at Mysterious Galaxies to one of my fellow panelists because as we were setting up, I was explaining the book and he I watched him walk over and buy a signed <laughs> copy at Mysterious Galaxy. So we're selling copies, Maurice. We're getting them out there. We're, we're doing it. I love this. to hear. I love to hear. Love to hear it. <laughs> um, so close me out here on Sweep of Stars. What, what else do you want to say about it before we go? Well, Sweep of Stars, uh, you know, I feel like it's, this, this is the series I think I was meant to write. So if there was any book that was like a definitively a Maurice Broaddus book, I would say Sweep of Stars is it. It's, uh, I'm putting I my everything into this. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm putting my everything into this one. I'm leaving nothing on the table. So this is it. Um, and well, look, and that's the thing is I had really high expectations for this book and they lived up to them and exceeded them. And that mission statement paragraph was one of the things that just hit me where I was like, damn, he's operating on a level I wasn't ready for and, 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 and really stoked about. So, um, and this is just the opening of a saga. So we've got, yeah. we've got a way to go. Exactly. So. All right. Uh, Maurice, man, you were awesome. This was awesome. I uh, will definitely be looking for what, when can we expect book two? Do we have a rough outline of, I, I, I believe we're looking at spring of next year. So Excellent. we're, we're going to try and keep on that schedule. Trying to keep on that schedule. And you got a middle grade book two uh do you have one just come out or, or yep one one just came out uh unfatable uh just came out and uh, i am working on uh, yet another standalone uh middle grade book as we speak awesome man you are a hard-working dude and still have a day job right so uh, yep, teaching, you... at the, teaching at the middle school and working at the kepfer institute 
<laughs> yep. I that's man. Yeah, no wonder you have an assistant. Uh <laughs> Keep all this together. Yeah, I, I, it is. A, yeah, so many spinning balls. I, yeah, I need help. I need help. All right, uh, Indi- Indianapolis represent. Uh, uh, shout out to all our Hoosiers. Um, there's, I always am excited, and you know, you're breaking the mold because Kurt Vonnegut said Hoosiers are always doing great stuff. They're just not doing it in Indiana, and mm-hmm. you're the you're proving you can still do it at indiana you can still do it here you still do it here yeah um yeah it's great to talk to you and uh folks check out sweep the stars and um i'll keep everybody posted um and as always uh thanks for joining postcards from a dying world hey man thanks for having me <laughs>